What's going on, everybody? A new episode of the No Huddle Show is here. And as always the case with the Eagles, we have plenty to talk about. And not a lot of it's about football. Today we talk about the whole issue with the White House invitation, it being pulled, their back and forth with Donald Trump, the debate around the national anthem protest, how this Eagles team has handled it, the spotlight that they have themselves on, and really just kind of what the last two days has been like and as Eagles find themselves in the middle of a political uh, firestorm. But we do talk football as well. Carson Wentz, a big update on him. He's doing seven on sevens. We talk about how Wentz looked. Um, and how the team has looked overall now that we've had a chance to see him practice three times. What are the, some of the positions that are the biggest question marks and who we kind of roughly see making the roster at those positions? But as always, guys, we'd really appreciate it if you do subscribe and, and leave us a review. If you're listening on YouTube, we appreciate it, but you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Spreaker. So you can really find us wherever podcasts are at and once you do leave that five-star review um, leave a review and with a question we'll make sure we answer it um, so here we go i'm elliot parks we have zach rosenblatt as always we're gonna have a new episode of the no Hunter show elliot here with zach for another episode of the no huddle show at the novacare complex but man, it does not feel like a normal day at the NovaCare Complex. It's Tuesday. Busy. Yeah, busy to say the least. Uh, it's a Tuesday, and we're, I guess, wrapping up the national anthem controversy with the White House. But <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it seems like it'll probably never go away. But I would say today, I thought that Monday was going to be the crescendo. But overall, I think after being here today, and we have a lot to get into. We, you know, Doug talked. Uh, Malcolm had a powerful message. Chris Long talked. There was practice. So really weird day and I could tell it was going to be a weird day when we got to the Novacare <laughs> complex and there was a security table outside. Yeah. yeah, they had to like check double check our names. They had to call someone to make sure that I I, I covered them because I, this is my first <laughs> Yeah, they even they yeah. even called about me and I'm, you know, I, I've been <laughs> doing this for Yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> I've been doing this for 5 years. So, uh no, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, there was a CNN truck here. There was I mean, the Fo- crowd, Fox I mean, News I, reporters. you could speak to if there's been a bigger crowd in general especially this time of the year. That's the biggest one I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, I would say for Doug's presser, there was probably like 50 or 60 people. And then we went into the locker room. Almost double, yeah. Yeah, maybe close to 100 people. Uh, it, was not pretty, a- it was pretty – sorry to cut It was funny, like – we, we walked in and there was like so many cameras around Malcolm Jenkins's locker that were like, mm-hmm. are we missing something? But they're like, no, he's not here yet. Yeah. From the, literally from the second I walked in the locker room and I was probably like three quarters of the way in the line, it was already 20 people deep. So people were waiting for Malcolm. Uh, certainly dis- didn't disappoint. Um, I mean, depending on where you stand on the issue, I guess it was either something <laughs> you did or didn't want to hear. But uh, look, plenty to get into today. So why don't we just, I've been trying to think of where we would start this podcast over the last two days. And I've I've obviously had a lot of thoughts. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has. Um, if you don't mind, I'll go first, or do you want to uh, – Go ahead. So I would say that I was thinking about doing this podcast, and I'm sure there's going to be people that turn it on and say, all right, I don't want to talk politics. This is, an Eagles, this is an Eagles podcast, and especially over the last year, we've certainly talked a lot of football. And, I mean, back when Matt was doing it, I can't remember a lot of talk on here about the national anthem. But I think the difference is this time the Eagles are the center of this story. And I wrote last week, but – that, that basically it's not going away. The Eagles are going to be the center of this story for a long time. They, you know, the preseason game when the anthem plays will be a big deal. The first week of the season, week one on Thursday night will be a big deal. They're the Super Bowl champs. They have two of the most outspoken players in the league in Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long. So whether you like it or not, this is an Eagle story. This It's a political story. It's a football story. But it's also an Eagle story. And there's a lot of different angles to look at it. Um, I guess the one takeaway, one of the, one of the takeaways I had over the last few days is 
I just think it's like important to listen to both sides. I mean, what, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you have an opinion. Do you think people should be kneeling during the anthem? Do you think there should be protests? But the reality is, and as someone who interacts with a lot of Eagles fans, that it might seem like on the bubble of Twitter or, you know, when you talk to Eagles players in the locker room, that, you know, 90% of the people are against these national anthem protests. I mean, sorry, are supportive of the players doing the national anthem protests. But the reality is there's both sides to this. And I think that's what you've seen over the last two days because there's been a lot of people that come out came out very strongly that were mad at the Eagles about not going to the White House, whether it was because they thought they should go just because it's an honor, whether they thought they should go to talk to Trump, whether they thought they should go, you know, just to celebrate the fact that they won the Super Bowl. A lot of people felt very strongly on, on both sides. It was certainly a lot of support for their decision to not go. Um, I personally support the decision of the players not to go if they don't want to. Um, it's their decision. Uh, if they feel strongly about not going, I don't think they should go. I support their right to protest during the anthem. But if you're listening to this and you disagree, I just think my biggest takeaway is there, there's been a lot of discussion over the last two days, and the Eagles are, have a lot of players on their team that are very good at having that discussion. Um, Malcolm Jenkins uh, you know, has answered thousands of questions over the last year and a half, two years about this subject. Chris Long, since he's been here, has been very open about it. Um, so I thought that overall the Eagles organization – if you, however you feel about them not going, I think they've at least handled themselves with class in this situation and haven't kind of gotten muddied up in this fight with the White House. Yeah, you know, again, we're we're obviously not trying to get political in any way, and I'm not going to right now either. But one 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 thing I just keep thinking about is like to go back a couple of weeks. The NFL made that policy; they said to put the focus back on football, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that backfired. And that backfired then, and it's getting even worse. Now. Like. For, for, you can criticize the Eagles if you want for not going to the White House just for the pure sake of whether they agree with Trump or whatever the reason. If you just think they should go for the sake of going, right? it was made about the national anthem because the White House put out a statement that it was about the national anthem. And it, it really doesn't have to do with that. It has more to do with individuals making their own decision and the teams deciding as a group that they didn't want to go for the most part besides like a couple guys they were going to send. And I, I just think the NFL – needs to be targeted here that they've really dropped the ball in this yeah. this whole thing and it, it, I don't even know if this would would this even be coming up the anthem thing would that be coming up right now if in these last couple of days no, like we wouldn't if they be talking about it I well, mean it, the noise had died down I think Malcolm Jenkins said that a week or two ago like the noise had died down and then the NFL brought this policy back and now you know you have you have Trump bringing it up when it wasn't even discussion he made the whole event about the national anthem mm-hmm. without the Eagles there and it, it this is doing nothing to help this topic. You know, it, it defeats the whole purpose of what these guys are protesting in the first place. Right. And I, I just think it the the NFL is just looking I mean, they've done a really good job of having bad PR hits over the years. Well and the, but like this this kinda takes the cake in a way. Well the funniest part is they make this new anthem rule to try to appease Trump in his base. And then Trump comes out. And then out. Trump was like, I don't want them in the locker room. Yeah, anyway. and Trump <laughs> says, I don't want people sitting in the locker room. So they didn't they, even do that right. And I think, you know, like whether you're a Republican or a Democrat listening to this, I think it's pretty clear, like, when it comes to battling Trump in public, it's just very hard. I mean, you know, like, no one thought that... It's not really any No one thought he would beat Clinton, and he did. (laughs) And, you know, like, you know, he comes out, and the NFL tries to please him, it doesn't work. The Eagles try to please him by coming, and they were planning on coming in general. You think he'd like the Eagles for their underdog thing. Right, exactly. But, I mean, they try to please him, and that, you know, that ends up backfiring in their face. Um so, I mean, it's just been a crazy two days. So let's start with where Doug, with Doug Peterson's press conference. So Doug has a press conference this morning, um, Tuesday morning. And I, my first takeaway is it shouldn't have been Doug giving that presser. I, I underst- was about to say something about so that. So yeah. I understand that by not having Lurie speak, you kind, of, uh, you kind of end the story in a way. I mean, if Lurie talks, 
you know, the White House said some strong things. They said it was a political stunt. They said the Eagles basically, you know, bailed on them at the last second. They were hard to work with. All things Eagles should respond to. But the thing is, if Lurie talks, then the White House responds. And again, it gets back to it's hard to win a battle with Trump, you know, over like back and forth. He's willing to cross lines. A lot of people aren't. So I kind of understand why Lurie didn't talk. But on the other hand, it really put Doug in a tough spot. Doug had to go out there, answer questions that he frankly probably had very little to do with. He didn't force the players to do anything. The decisions about how the organization gets represented, not the football team, the organization, you know, that's Howie, Lurie, Dom Smolinski. I mean, Doug's involved in those decisions, but he's not the decision maker. He's just a coach. Right, he's just a coach. So he really had to step into a spot today that was tough for him. And in my opinion, I think he handled it very well. Yeah, I, I, I kind of jokingly mentioned this to you earlier. It, feel, it feels very Sixers-esque the way, mm-hmm. you know, the Sixers have obviously mishandled, there's even the Colangelo thing going on right now. They've mishandled so many things and they've just threw uh, Brett Brown out there to take the brunt of it, like on a daily basis, you know, with Markel Fultz stuff, with Joel Embiid injury stuff, with all this other stuff. They threw Brett Brown out there to handle it. He did yep. a good job. And the, it, I just caught wind of that again today with Doug. I mean, Doug is a grown man, and he handled it really well. He knew going in there what his message was going to be. He stuck to it. He was pretty sassy. Uh, I think he handled the room even better than I've seen since we since I've been covering the team. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I just think I know I, I think Jeffrey Lilly has to come out and actually they've they've put out a couple statements over the last couple weeks that really have said a whole lot of nothing. They've been right down the middle. I understand trying not to battle the Trump. I don't think he necessarily has to do it. I think what he needs to do is come out. And, and just say, like, you know, we didn't abandon our fans. Uh, mm-hmm. We decided we didn't want to go. We decided we were only going to send this many people because of this, and that's all I'm going to say in the matter. Like, I, I just think he needs to say something, and he, he's the representative of this organization. He, he purchased this organization however many years ago that was. Right. I know they haven't really dealt with something like this before. But between that and the, the fact that he voted yes on that anthem policy, considering he has guys like Malcolm Jenkins in his locker room, and I, it doesn't sound like they've really had much discussion between Jeffrey in, – in talking to Chris Long, Malcolm Jenkins, it doesn't seem like they've talked much with Jeffrey Lurie. I think right. Chris Long said something today like Jeffrey Lurie's business is Jeffrey Lurie's business. Mm-hmm. What, I, I don't think he was necessarily trying to take a shot at him, but I, I, I think it's this is going to be some that, – that aspect of it, the relationship between Jeffrey Lurie, this fan base – and the the outspoken players, I think that's something that needs to be managed. And, and that's the weird thing about him not coming out and talking about it is, you know, it's hard to get to know Jeffrey extremely well personally. But from what I do know of him, I mean, you know, there was he was quoted in the New York Times story in that meeting saying that Trump's presidency was a disaster. Um, I believe he donated money to Clinton's campaign. So, I mean, I do think he leans on the liberal side. So in one way, I think, you know, if – he comes across as being very passionate about these issues. He supported Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long through their protest last year. Um, he's shown that he's willing to kind of, you know, he does support his players. Was, so, was he down on the field? Didn't yeah, well, yeah. yeah, all the owners. I know they all did. That. I'm saying, well, yeah, wasn't he? he he was down there. Yeah, I know they they liked that he did that, but yeah, right. So I just think on one hand, I'm a little surprised he didn't come out saying things. It seems like this is one of the biggest platforms he'll ever have, but. That, to kind of tie into what Doug did, I thought Doug struck the perfect tone today of being polite but also annoyed and like kind of dismissive while also answering, which is and, tough. And I thought it was in, was interesting that Doug still made the point to say like I wish, yeah, I, I wanted to go. Like it's right, Doug like, was excited to go like, for the experience. He did, it wasn't about politics. It wasn't about Trump. It wasn't about the anthem. He's just like the champion goes to the White House. We were the champion. It would have been right. nice. 
but we're in minicamp now. Like, and that, what's, was, that was kind of the message I got from him. Yeah, and what's weird is talking to the players in the locker room today. It seemed like Doug – so Doug met with them last week, and they've had a handful of meetings. Jason Kelsey said at one point they filled out a flyer where you said, would you want to go to the White House or would you want to go to Washington, and it was anonymous. So it sounded like the Eagles really pulled their players a lot on what to do, and Doug's message from what the players told me was kind of, you know – Whatever we're going to do, let's do it together. Let's, let's not be divided by this. Let's stay united. And the thing I kept thinking talking to the players today and, talking, and listening to Doug was there's so, much, there's so much more ready to handle this situation than they were a year and a half ago. And, I mean, part of me is – part of people are going to hear them be like, well, obviously the Super Bowl champs. But just like the Eagles are a circus every day. Like in terms of teams in the NFL that get a lot of attention – it's like the Patriots and the Eagles are far and away number one and two. Maybe so, the Cowboys are. Yeah, they, in the but mix, the Cowboys yeah. haven't done anything. In yeah, so that's long. the thing. Yeah. Right. So I mean, they're they're always in there, but the Eagles and Patriots are new. They make big trades. They play in big games. They win big games. Eagles are the champions. They have, they have big personalities. Big, big personalities. I mean, with Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed not in the NFL. There's certainly a ton of outspoken players about the anthem protest, but like you can make the argument the Eagles have the top three in Jenkins, Long, and Michael Bennett. Uh, Doug Baldwin certainly is very outspoken, uh, but the Eagles have probably the top three guys, so I really don't think there's anything that can phase this team, and that's kind of what I picked up on the locker room today. Like There wasn't a ton of guys that went in there, but you know Jenkins um, was in there, Chris Long was in there, Jason Kelsey talked, no quarterbacks, uh, Nelson Aguilar talked, but some of the main guys did talk, um, Zach Ertz talked extensively. Uh, and I thought they handled it very well. And so I think that what's going to happen is in two weeks when it's, you know, about to be when the OTAs are over, we're, we're in that dead period of six weeks where there's no football. I don't think people will be talking about this as much anymore. So although at the beginning of the day, I really thought Lurie should have talked. Now that we're doing this podcast at the end of the day, we've been through it. I feel like this story is basically going to be dead by next week. And the Eagles did accomplish that. By you know not coming back to the White House, not coming back at Trump, you know all the players that did spoke to that did speak today. You were at Chris Long, so I can't speak for him, but from all the people I talked to, no one was throwing shade at Trump. Everyone was just kind of like, we're here to talk football. Yes, you know we understand it's a controversial issue, but controversial issue, but we'll stay together. So I feel like they kind of did a good job moving on from it today. Yeah, you, even Chris Long was like my my quotes about. Uh, Chris Long over the last three years, I mean, about uh, Donald Trump are pretty well documented. Mm-hmm. And can, his message is like, I've said the same thing quite a few times. It was a different audience, but yeah, that they, they have certain, I think that probably is the right move. You know, I mean, going to war with the president, I mean, that, I don't think anybody wins in that. Right. Then you all of a sudden, maybe you start having a splintered fan base between the people who support Trump and who support the Eagles. Uh, I don't think they abandoned their fans, actually. I think we all can agree that I don't think they're worried about the fans thinking they abandoned them. I had one person tweet at me like, uh, the Eagles are only going to fill up half their stands now after this. I'm like, no, I'm not sure you know the Eagles, my guy. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I hope it dies down. I, I'm to be honest, I'm kind of tired of having to ask these guys about this. We haven't really asked them about much football, right. In the OTAs in the last two and a half weeks or however long we've been doing this. Um, I mean, I know OTAs don't necessarily matter that much, but like, we're probably going to get into it in a little bit here, but like we, we're seeing Carson Wentz do stuff like it. It's yeah. a big deal, and, and we're seeing some guys who've been standouts, and and I, I just think this this team coming off the Super Bowl, where normally the excitement and discussion would be around that, but I don't know how many questions have you been asked about what life has been like after the Super Bowl. Right. No, I mean this is obviously the huge story. Uh, the one one last thing I'll say before we move on to uh, 
the OTAs and what we saw on the field was we should talk about what Malcolm Jenkins did. Uh, mm, if you yeah. listen to the podcast, I'm guessing you've seen it. He he went to his locker. He held up signs with. We have our, we have video up of it. You yeah, know, video. Should watch it. Yeah, video is up. A uh, video is up. And like I said, one of the things I respect most about Malcolm is his willingness to use his platform to you know send the message he's he feels strongly about whether that's answering questions what he did today so today he stands up there and he just basically had posters the main one that said you're not listening um the other ones basically said you know they had statistics about issues he feels passionate about about you know the high amount of people of african americans that are locked up compared to other races about how minorities are treated in this country he highlighted names of players he thinks are heroes and patriots and including chris long right chris long and when i say patriots i don't mean new england patriots i mean you know like everyone <laughs> acu- never do that. right everyone accuses you know people that don't that protest during the anthem of not being patriotic right and anti- yeah and i thought what jenkins did today was perfect because he has answered these questions he has been out there and that is the one thing too over the last two days like the message has just so been lost and that's got to be frustrating for jenkins i mean you know, people will say, oh, we should have answered questions today, but he's answered all these questions. Every question that was going to get what asked he did today. Was, what he did is going to get more attention than anything you would have said. Exactly. Um, so I just thought it was extremely powerful how he handled it. Uh, and, I, you know, hopefully for his sake that it does get his message out there. I mean, it's his voice. It's his platform. He should get to control to a certain extent how his message is perceived – or not perceived, how his mess, what his message received, is. Yeah. Right, how his message is received. So hopefully that is what happened today. Um all right, I kind of feel like it's time to get into some OTA stuff. We'll talk about some football. Yeah, we'll talk about some football because <laughs> they're playing country music today. If we want yeah. to talk about America, it was yeah. all country. That was my Have biggest takeaway. No, it's. I, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, that was Not my one biggest takeaway. Not one rap song. Not pop as, song. <laughs> as soon as we got in there, I noticed it was all country. So, the football news of the day was that Carson Wentz took part in seven on sevens. Huge. And yeah, it was huge. I mean, because we, you know, I think back to when Sam Bradford was here recovering from his ACL. And it was just so much slower than what Wentz did. And he had a three-month head start or two-month head, head start on Wentz. We said last, last time we recorded the pod that you can't tell Wentz is injured when he's out there. And you couldn't tell today either. I mean, he runs. He does full sprints when, he's on, when the team is doing drills he can't take part in. You don't see much of a, of a limp or anything like that when he does and that. So they, they also, I was watching at one point. I don't know if – I forget if you were down there. But they, there's this one drill where all the quarterbacks – would take turns. They all had these like big, like huge balls that they were like bouncy balls. They were huge, and they would throw it at him, and he had to avoid it. And he he did a good job of moving and yeah. turning his body and throwing. And uh, again, we have to you know stipulate that again. It's no pads, yeah. low pressure, shorts. But like this is huge. Like I, I'd be shocked at this point if he's not playing week one, well, barring any things that happened, complications. Yeah, and those are my main two takeaways. Uh, the, the well, these are my main two takeaways. The first one is that. The fact that he's even doing this obviously a sign of how good his rehab's going. That's the obvious takeaway. He's clearly progressing well. Clearly, he hasn't run into very many issues, any setbacks, anything like that. But the second one is after watching the way they handled City Jones last year, they really kind of took him at a snail's pace. Not that his rehab didn't go any quicker, any better than Wentz's. They, I mean, he probably could have started practicing, you know, in week like eight, and maybe been on the field in week twelve. But he didn't really get. He didn't get on the field to week seventeen, and he didn't play him in the pl- in the playoffs. So they took it very slowly with him. And I think with Wentz, they're showing they're showing they're not going to do that, that they're going to kind of let him control to a yeah, certain say, extent. I wonder how much of it is him being like, all right, I want to be out there. Stop trying to. Right. I think that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're not doctors and we don't know. I mean, so, <laughs> you, don't so, have a, you don't have a doctor. Do you? Right. Yeah. So we don't know like where he stands yeah. in terms of his rehab medically, but I do think the fact that they have him out there much sooner than everyone expected. I mean, if he didn't do anything in OTAs, 
I would have not thought of that as a red flag. Clearly it wouldn't have been a good sign. But the fact that he's doing seven on sevens, he's doing, you know, team, not 11 on 11s yet, but he's doing other team drills. He's doing all the individual drills. I just think, again, like you said, I would be stunned if he's not out there in week one. Um, I just think the way that, you know, he looks out there and just how, how motivated he is to get out there and, uh, and play. I think it's important to him personally if he plays in week one um, and that Foles isn't out there. I think he wants to kind of reestablish this as his team. So I think he'll be out there. And honestly, at this point, when, I don't think he plays in the preseason, but I think he'll be able to play if he wanted to. But yeah, I don't, I don't think, think they risk it. I don't it. think they're going to throw him out there. But when training camp starts, it wouldn't surprise me if they if he was doing 11 on 11. Like full go? Kind yeah, like of thing. full go, basically full go type thing. I mean, that's still... That'd be kind of wild. I mean... It's it, basically two months away, more I, seven weeks. I mean, at this point, he seems like he's going in that direction, but just if you just think about it, it's kind of insane that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, his rehab, clearly he's been putting a lot of work. Yeah. You know, you hear reports that... You know, he's really working hard. And you're like, all right, well, everyone works hard at rehab. <laughs> but, like, he clearly has, and clearly it's been working out for him. So that was my biggest takeaway. Um, do you want to talk about the quarterbacks a little more? Do you? Have, yeah, you know, I was going to say, I mean, I know you and I have cr- been critical of Nate Sudfeld so far, mm-hmm. like, from the early practice. But he seems like he's gone on an upward trajectory, shown improvement, which I think he wanted. He had some really good throws today. Yeah. You can talk about that a little more. But I, I think he showed a lot. That This is what they need to see from him because, as we've talked about, if Wentz is as healthy as he seems to be, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have more than two quarterbacks unless the third guy is like really talented. Well, as your developmental guy, as your developmental guy, and he, and he looks like if if he can throw like he did today consistently, like he's a he could be a player, like he could be good. Yeah, I mean, he had two really nice throws today. The first was a deep pass um, to Shelton Gibson for a touchdown between two defenders, put it right on the money, about forty yards out. And the other one was uh, drop back threw the ball back the end zone into a small window to uh, Dallas Goddard. So he definitely shined today. Overall, I still think his camp, his not his camp, we're not there yet. His OTAs have been very up and down. But um, yeah, I think they, they, today at least uh, fans through the media should be uh, encouraged by what they saw. The question that you that you raised, though, is three quarterbacks. Obviously, if they don't trade Foles or Sudfeld, I think they will keep three. I'd be stunned if they cut Sudfeld yeah. just because he doesn't get through waivers. And I'm not even sure he has practice squad eligibility left. I don't but think he does anymore. Yeah, so I I, he, I think they'll keep three quarterbacks next year, especially because when I go through my 53-man, there aren't like – not that the team's not talented because clearly there are, but there aren't really no, – There aren't as many guys that you're like – uh, Yeah, exa- no, exactly. I like I think you can squeeze – you can get by with five – uh, five receivers on this. I even think there's going to be room for Don, uh, Bosby, Devontae Bosby, who yeah. we can talk about. In he a would be bit. a guy that maybe you know will get lost in the shuffle, but I think he can even still make it if they keep Sudfeld. Right, and I mean, speaking of Bosby and speaking of Sudfeld, I think that's why, really, up until the trade deadline, but definitely through training camp, you still have to be alert for a Foles trade or a Ronald Darby or trade or an injury. Or an injury, right. Obviously, injuries happen. Um, but the other thing with Sudfeld is maybe he doesn't play it all this year and he's a third-string guy this year. But in 2019, Foles is likely gone. I wouldn't say 100%, but he's likely gone. And, and then, then Sudfeld's your backup. Sudfeld would be a snap away from playing. Yeah. Right. And the other thing, too, is when you talk about Sudfeld's future here, like when the Eagles signed Chase Daniels, um, Chase Daniel, last year to uh, – not last year, two years ago. Chase to Daniel. be a yeah, throwback. Mm-hmm. Two years ago to be the backup to Wentz. Part of the reason was – you know, they wanted him to kind of help well, bring Wentz along. Originally. <laughs> yeah, back up to Bradford originally, but bring him along yeah. and just kind of show him the way. And the Eagles clearly value the relationship between the starter and backup quarterback. And Sudfeld and Wentz are extremely close. So, you I mean, they see, are with you Foles, can see it too. Out, but you're just watching, you can see that 
him and Wentz are pretty close. They're constantly talking to each other. And right. So even though Foles, they all get along well. When Foles eventually leaves, I think there's value to having Sudfeld here and have him be As there. Right to get along with Wentz, help him out. They'll know each other. They know how to watch film together. They see some of the same things. So I think and there's value there. And he's building rapport with the receivers in the in the event that he plays for him and yep stuff like that. Yeah. All right. My other my other takeaway from OTAs was I think we're getting to the point where we have to really discuss. Bosby as someone that could make the roster, which to me I had him at a, I had him as a long shot heading into OTAs, but not only is he getting a ton of reps, he's playing well when he has them, and um, they're giving him first team reps too. Which mm-hmm. they, I mean, a guy like Avante Maddox is in theory more of a lock to make the roster than him, but he hasn't gotten those reps. So right, well Maddox will definitely make the roster. I know, I know, that's pick, not yeah. my point. I'm just saying, like in theory, Maddox is a lock to make the roster, and Bowsby is not, but Bowsby is the one getting the first team reps. Yep, and then I mean. Sidney Jones didn't practice today. Yeah, he wasn't in the locker room, so we're, we're not sure why. But even last week, Bosby was getting first-team reps over Sidney Jones. Now, I don't think – I think Sidney Jones is going to play a ton. I don't think Bosby's going to no, beat him out. He might not play much on defense, but I think this is all – the fact that he's performing when given the opportunity is really big for a guy like that. Right, but I'm saying I think their top three corners in terms of snaps are going to be Sidney, Darby, and Mills, yeah, yeah, assuming yeah. they're all here. For sure. So the way – so if you look at it, all right, so Mills is definitely going to be here. He's a lock. Sidney Jones is definitely going to be here. He's a lock. Avante Maddox, 99.9%. Unless they somehow think they can squeeze him through the practice squad, but you would hope Probably your fourth-round yeah. pick doesn't get through if the practice squad. Rizal Douglas also. Right. So that's so those three, um, they're, they're locks to be here. Rasul Douglas, I think, like you just, you just mentioned, is probably a lock as well. Although if they're only playing him on the outside, then maybe – you know they they don't value him as much because they had they've had Maddox go inside and outside, Mills inside and outside. They like guys of flexibility, right? Now Darby hasn't gone inside it either, and I think he's a top trade candidate because yeah. you know out not under contract beyond this year, and that's where Bosby factors in because Bosby you can control him for longer at a cheaper rate. Um, then your two outside guys become Sydney and Jalen, and you put Bosby in at your at your nickel. Then you still have Russell Douglas, you still have Avante Maddox, and I think that Darby, although I do think he'll have a better year than he did last year, I think he's set up to uh, have a, have a good year. But you're not sure you can resign him. Yeah, and and another thing to consider is if if and when, because I think they will at some point bring in another safety, whether that's Corey Graham, a guy yep. who can play corner, that, that probably wouldn't necessarily bode well for. Uh, Bowsby chances depending on who they keep at safety and how many guys they keep back there, but I think that's going to be something we have to keep an eye on this offseason because I'd, I'd be pretty surprised if they don't bring in another safety considering they don't really have any experience behind the main. Mm-hmm. Team. I mean, Chris Maragos, but he's more of a special teams player at this at this stage of his career. Agreed. All right, so the other position I think has stuck out to me in terms of training camp battles or just you know seems like there's the most questions at OTAs is the receiver position. So I was you going to talk about that too. Yeah. yeah, so you have Alshon, Mike Wallace, Nelson Aguilar, and Matt Collins. They're going to be the locks. They're going to be the four guys. Um, Alshon, Mike Wallace are going to start on the outside. I don't think Collins is going to play as much as other people do. I, I don't think he's set for that once big they got forward. Once they got Wallace and after watching him, I tweeted this, I – he looks good, man. I, th- yeah. I think he's. I think he's going to be better than people think. He had a good year with the Ravens, yeah. especially I mean, he he how bad throwing to him. Right, you see how bad that offense is. But the the to me the question is: Do the a do they keep five receivers? If they do, I think it's going to be between Marcus Wheaton and, and Shelton Gibson. Shelton Gibson yeah. Now, Bryce Treggs may be sprinkled in there. Greg Ward definitely fourth among that. But those would be the candidates. Now, if you keep five. 
It's tough to say because they invested the fifth round pick in Gibson. He's looked pretty good so far. He looked good. He had. I wasn't the, here last year, but I know he didn't have a good camp last year, right? Right, and then uh, he had the touchdown catch from from Sudfeld. But the other thing is they invested a fifth round pick in him last year. Yeah. So you would think they would want to keep him. Marcus Wheaton, they signed for basically nothing, a little, very little guaranteed that money. That was like a low risk, high reward type of thing that they do every year. Right. Patrick Robinson esque. Right, but. Wheaton's been playing both inside and outside for him, so he has that He's flexibility. Big. So I think that's going to be one of the one of the positions to watch. That'll come down in the last day, I feel like too. Yeah, I mean, and I think special teams could play a factor, especially with uh, with Bryce Treggs, because he's been doing some returning. So, any other thoughts or takeaways you had from watching OTAs today? Well, of note, uh, Donald Pumphrey wasn't practicing again today, yep. and Josh Adams still has yet to practice, I believe. At least when we've been here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I doubt he's been practicing. And I, I know it's just OTAs, but I think Donald Pumphrey needs every practice he can get to prove to these coaches he belongs yeah. here. Yeah. So I guess if, if we were like ranking it right now, like wh- who would most likely be the, that fourth running or fourth, right? Yeah. So it'd be Sproles, Clement, uh, Ajayi, and then the, then the fourth would be between right. Jones, Adams, Pumphrey, or they might keep five. Smallwood, or if they keep five, I would put as of right now, I would put Jones at the top of that list. <sighs> I agree, but I'm I just, just saying like today. <laughs> no, today. I, yeah, I Not agree. Not a prediction for the future. Like I just think Pumphrey still needs to prove a lot. Right. No, I I agree with that. I would just say that Smallwood's I would just done. to me I think it we would all be agree gone. Yeah, I would think so. But <laughs> I I just also think that like to give up on Pumphrey so soon, I think for a guy like Matt Jones, who's going to be your fourth guy. At least Pumphrey has some returning ability. Yeah, it, it's far from wrong. over, like you mentioned. We're still in the OTAs yeah. training camp, but. Man, keeping Matt Jones to me would be such like a disappointing oh, I, decision I, I, by this. Front I think office. they want Pumphrey to win the job. Like, yeah. Wrong. I think they like really want. There's some guys on. There's some guys every year that you like want that guy to be the one that's the best. But uh-huh. sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Yeah, like it did with Pumphrey last year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. All right, so it's crazy. OT is already kind of wrapping up. Next week we have three days of mandatory. Um, we have one more day of availability this week. And then we're off for those six weeks. So next week we'll be back with another podcast. We'll have, you know, talk about mandatory minicamp, talk about when, see what he's been doing, if he's picked up any more, if he's doing 11 on 11s. So until next week, when we are back to, I would think, talking fully football, I will talk to you next week. (laughs) 